For interested Academy members, developers, and publishers, submissions are now open for the 24th Annual DICE Awards, the premier peer-reviewed celebration of the best in interactive entertainment. Make sure to submit your 2020 game for consideration by Wednesday, December 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific. For more information, go to interactive.org. Hi, this is Austin Wintery, and this is the Game Maker's Notebook. Today I've had the wonderful pleasure of chatting with a longtime friend, the composer Borislav Slavov. He is the music director at Larian Studios and recently shipped Baldur's Gate 3. He prior to that worked on Divinity Original Sin 2 and was at Crytek before that working on games like Crisis 2 and 3. He's a fabulous musician, wonderful composer, and he's just honest to God, one of the nicest, most optimistic and effusively positive people I've probably ever met. Our conversation covered a lot of grounds, uh, but, but really was just kind of about life, the realities of being a composer, being creative while working under stress, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It was a privilege to share that couple of hours with him, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to The Game Maker's Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Maker's Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. Off we go with Borislav Slavov, one of my most delicious names to say, uh, or uh, or Bobby, as I feel emboldened to call you. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, Austin, man. Once again, it's a huge pleasure. And first of all, thank you so much for inviting me and for having me here. It was a really pleasant surprise. And uh, it was great talking to you like uh, it was two weeks ago on the... Uh, Game Music Festival in Wroclaw. Uh, when I realized that you you won't be there, I was really sad because you know I, I was talking to my friends and I was telling everyone that uh, I'm I'm supposed to meet uh, my favorite uh, composer Austin Wintery. And uh, when yeah. this bloody COVID madness took uh, all over the place, uh, I was totally disappointed. But still, nevertheless, uh, it was a great conversation. And the uh, Game Music Festival was a blast. Which Yeah, uh, it, and, and I have to say, you know, to, to bring our dear listeners up to speed, in, um, in Wroclaw, Poland, the last three years now, there's been this event, the Game Music Festival, which is, uh, I'm sure you would agree, a truly world-class event. Uh, they, especially under the constraints of COVID, um, but even last year where we didn't have any of that and, and, and that's when I was there, um, I was blown away. I never heard of this city until they reached out to me and and then go there and they've got this fabulous concert hall, these great or- the multiple orchestras. You know, they the, last year they put on three concerts, uh, a concert of my music, a concert of um, uh, the uh, Fumito Uida's games, you know, a, a sort of triplet of The Last Guardian, um, Ico, and uh, Shadow of the Colossus, and then a third concert of um, the music of Jesper Kidd, mostly drawing from Assassin's Creed and uh, Hitman. Um, and I just the whole thing blew my mind. It just was it was un- unbelievably well done. So it, it gave me immense joy 
to see you the subject of a concert this year. And I watched the live stream and I was astounded, first off, that they handled your music. Well, I want to I want to ask you, actually, because I, <laughs> I insisted on on uh, handling the arrangements myself on mine. And I think I'm one of the only ones to have done that because they have their own arrangers and they and they, they like to approach it a little d- bit differently. So they were very gracious in letting me do it the way I wanted to do it. So, but but uh, secondarily to the fact that I was very impressed with the way they treated your music, which I love, but also as a live streamed concert with you know the live direction of a multi camera shoot and and uh, the just the audio fidelity of capturing the orchestra in real time, it felt like I was watching a DVD of a concert where. They filmed it and they recorded it. And then later in the edit bay, they constructed, you know, a nice uh, visual and audio presentation that takes time to prepare. The, the idea that this was being called live with that level of quality, I, I was like, this is it's like watching the Oscars. I mean, th- this is I was blown away. I just couldn't believe how good a job they did because, it, you know, these guys, they're they're basically just fans. Right. They're basically just. Yeah, that's big, amazing, man. That's absolutely big game nerds. Uh, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, uh, believe it or not, these guys, they have uh, they do something completely different for a living. I can tell you an amusing story, uh, fresh out of the oven, uh, about this oh, uh, year's uh, uh, music festival. C- can you believe that... Uh, the, the, okay, first things first. So when I arrived, I, I went out for a dinner and I, I was called by the, uh, but, uh, by the director of the festival. Mm-hmm. He wanted to tell me something very important and uh, it was very urgent. So I was thinking, what is going on here? I was really mm-hmm. concerned uh, about the news that I was going to, the, the, to have. And I was told that the orchestra that was uh, having rehearsals for a few weeks with my music uh, couldn't make it, couldn't make it. And uh, they couldn't make it uh, literally 48 hours before the concert. And uh, Because they had to come from another town? Is that... No, 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 no. It was the COVID madness. Some of the guys uh, uh, were in contact with uh, deceased people uh, due to this bloody COVID madness. And as a result, the whole orchestra was canceled. And uh, the guys did a heroic deed there. You know what they did? They managed to find within two hours a brand new orchestra from a nearby little, really small town. They invited the guys and they did an absolutely amazing and heroic achievement. And you witnessed this achievement. So I did not they know said, that detail. Meaning yeah, like they, they just they rehearsed, they rehearsed nonstop, I guess, uh, from no, the moment they got the no, call? No, absolutely no. You know, I, I was present to the only three rehearsals which happened the same, the very same day, right before the concert itself. Can you believe this? I mean, I have, I have witnessed, um, <laughs> uh, I've witnessed uh, music sort of superheroism before. You know, like you record in London or you record in Los Angeles or Nashville, and, and you see them yeah. piece together London music. And, um, and and so, you know, on the one hand, I'm not shocked, but yet even then, it, like. Even when I'm, you know, you're at Abbey Road, it's still shocking because you just think, how is it possible? It's amazing that this is even within the realm of human capability. Um, and more and more musicians, you know, the world is just kind of growing up, it seems. And so on the one hand, I, I totally believe it. But at the other hand, the fact that any of it's possible for anyone anywhere is astounding. Uh, I'm thrilled. I had no idea you were that close to the edge of disaster 
It um, was so close, my friend. You you cannot believe it. I mean, I was so concerned and I was so gloomy and so down. And I, 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 honestly, I didn't believe it was possible because you know I was I was sitting there, pre, uh, you know, listening to the rehearsals, and it was okay, sort of. And uh, and I remember there was a moment when I was very concerned and very, very much upset about what's going to happen. But then the miracle happens. And now that I think about it, I think that it has a lot to do with the passion of all these guys. Because when you do something uh, out of passion, mainly, when you you love it with uh, all your heart and uh, the driving force is uh, not uh, earning, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, to... Uh, but you know what I'm what I'm saying, these guys... On the the moment the concert started, these were completely different people. A miracle <laughs> happened, and I was sitting there totally blown away. I couldn't believe what's, what what was going on. Of course, there were some minor, you know, uh, derivations and uh, you know hiccups here and there. But overall, it was something absolutely amazing and a and a bl- uh, mind blowing achievement. And well, speaking about you know, the previous concerts. Uh, I've listened to them all. I've watched them all, including yours. You know, of course, one of my favorite. And they're talking about uh, game festivals. This one and the one in the other one in Ubeda, that uh, the one that uh, we met for the very first time. These are my most favorite festivals, actually. Yeah. Because well, I, I no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, the guys from Poland totally share the same vision the same passion and the same love for video games uh, music like our uh, like our spanish friends from ubera yeah uh, yeah i totally agree it's a special kind of person to go to that much effort and that much headache to put together a big event where you have to sell you know a few thousand tickets um and and almost all the composers are being flown in from somewhere out of the country And so, you know, in some cases that means dealing with visas and other cases, it's just the headache of travel arrangements and raising all the money to do this. Uh, And, and, and often having to raise the money from, from, you know, investors or government grants or something, trying to explain to them the value of film music or video game music. And often those people are just looking at them going, what in the hell are you talking about? And uh, purely because they think the idea of sitting back and watching an orchestra play music from, you know, Baldur's Gate or, or Assassin's Creed or something that to them is like, that's what I want to do this weekend. And so they'll do six months of backbreaking work to make, <laughs> to make that weekend a reality. And for people like us, you know, um, we, we basically, we get an email and then six months later, we take a flight, show up, have a few wonderful days and then it's over. And what an unbelievable privilege uh, to, yeah. to, to be subject of somebody's, a passion like that. Um, that's for, the, for those that um, have no idea what we're talking about in Ubuda. T- so um, it was 2012, I believe, um, almost 10 years ago, where summer the in for the last however many years in Spain, in this very small town of Ubuda, there was a film music festival that would celebrate. Uh, you know, they had a rotating roster of composers, and then at some point they decided to start including video game music in there. And I, I don't actually know when they started doing that, if, if it was it was it when was we were there or if it was before. My friend. No, no, that, that was a historic moment. We actually met on a, on a very historic moment in not only, you know, uh, 
but in their in, uh, in their history that was the very first game music concert ever and that's why it was so very, very special and and i never felt so welcomed honestly uh, i didn't realize it was their first time doing game music I, was, I, I i probably i probably just in my in my uh, onset dementia i probably just i learned that and then have subsequently forgot it because i can't imagine they didn't tell me at the time um but uh, that's amazing that makes it all the more um incredible i remember it was a it was a concert specifically celebrating video games and animation because they also uh, performed one of my favorite scores, which is Shirley Walker's Batman Mask of the Phantasm, right, um, right. which was a very cool thing to share the stage with in this. So we were in Spain in this little town, which is like a trade outpost where the, like it, it has this wonderful kind of European meets Muslim and Moorish architectural fusion. Right, and it right. feels like a little medieval castle town. And um, they do very the concert. For, yeah. Very suitable for your premiere of journey. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was a uh, yeah a truly uh, astounding event because what happened was that uh, I was at the time I was sharing a studio with a composer uh, who's mostly known for film and television named John Debney, and the Spanish oh. the Spanish uh, hermanos um, who uh, who planned this event uh, were were coming to his building to just say hi. They had he had been there uh, in previous years and they they were visiting LA and making the rounds of all their composer friends that they had made as time had gone by and so they were visiting John and, and a mutual friend said you know John there's a composer uh, downstairs from John's studio you should you should meet him and say <laughs> hi so these guys show up at my door uh, I get an email saying they're coming we meet and we just immediately hit it off and I said can I share with you some music on a thing that I've been working on for the last three years it means a lot to me and no one has heard this yet because the game was not coming out for like another month. Yeah. And I played them Journey there in my studio. The The score was all finished and we were just waiting for it to finish certification and come out. And they right there on the spot said, we'd like to perform this in Ubuda this summer. Um, and it, it blew my mind because they took a chance. You know, Journey was not a big title. And the fact that it that it exploded the way it did, no one could have predicted that and no one... There was no guarantee of that, and they and they could have had a situation of promising to perform music from a game that was a total flop by a composer no one ever heard of, and and it could have been. But that's, that's been the beauty, my friend. This is exactly the beauty of of these people and these guys because, uh, you know, I've been uh, I've been talking and telling all my friends about these guys. I mean, my friends from Poland, our friends from Poland, and our friends from uh, from Spain, Ubeda. These guys. The only thing that matters, and which is a really, really uh, impressive and very touching, personally for me, is the music only. Yeah, I mean, uh, and, and it proves it because, as you said, uh, uh, the world premiere of Journey was precisely uh, 2012, the year and the place we met for the very first time, and nobody knew that uh, uh, it's going to be the, the music of the decade at that time. We all loved it, we we all celebrated it, and and, and enjoyed it, but. Uh, this very moment, they didn't know. They didn't know, but they instantly fell in love with your music, and instantly decided uh, uh, to, to perform it live. And that's why I love the, uh, these guys so much because it's a very, very rare thing nowadays to judge uh, a composer only by his music, not not by his name or you know the studio he's coming or the country he's coming from or. Uh, if he's speaking in an English like a barbarian like myself at the moment, or <laughs> if he's a native English speaker, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know that I'm an honest yeah, person. You're, you're an utter savage. 
Yeah, I'm a savage in the rough at the edges, but at least uh, you cannot say that I'm dishonest or, or anything. But we were talking about our friends and the way they celebrate the video game music uh, with all their hearts, which is truly astonishing and, and amazing. Well, and, and it's something that could be said of you as well, which is why I think you and I clicked so instantly uh, uh, during our you know, our adventure, uh, that, that week in Ubuda, um, uh, and, uh, you know, because we, we had, we had not met and it was one of those where I, I, I was familiar with your music, but I didn't really know it. I, I, and I didn't remember your name, but I had, I had played those games and I had looked up the music at one point or another. Um, but it was, it was kind of like this wonderful chance to get to know the man and then revisit the music. And, and I love that experience where, you, you then, now that I've got this bias, because it's like I'm listening to music by someone I know I like and, who, and whose friendship I, I immediately cherish, you, you, you project that onto it. And, and the result is that I, I just, I hear things differently. I hear, I hear the music um, um, through a very different lens, for better or worse. You know, it's, it's, it's a clearly a biased listening, but in, in some ways it also feels like, well, I feel like I get to hear it. I get to hear it how you intend it. And I immediately was like, wow, this, this is a serious composer. I, 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 as much as I, as much as I knew it from the moment I got back to LA, like just because on display at the concert was plenty testimony, but I really got to know your writing in the years since then. And um, it just consistently has blown me away as somebody who I just, I thought here's a person who I, I know works very hard. That much is clear. But my God, you really hear it in the writing now that I kind of know what I'm listening for. Um, my friend, this is very touching for me. And uh, let me share something that I was talking with Claudio and Joshua right before uh, we joined the conversation. You know, we were talking about uh, how good idea is that you exactly is uh, hosting and uh, leading uh, these podcasts because, you know, uh, usually I will tell you a secret. It's not it's not going to be a secret anymore, but I don't feel comfortable <laughs> giving interviews at all. And I rarely give an interview, especially if it's, uh, you know, a spoken one. Usually what I do, I prefer to, um, you know, to get some topics or questions or anything in advance so that I can take my time, sit down and don't embarrass myself too much with my uh, uh, poor English skills. But honestly speaking, now talking to you, I feel bloody comfortable and I feel like totally <laughs> at home with you. No, you can you can feel it. I mean, you can you cannot fake something like this, right? And I'm telling you this because it's a brilliant idea. First of all, I'd like to say uh, once again, congratulations for this lovely initiative uh, doing this. I watched all the, uh, uh, the 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 podcast so far, and it's a lovely idea, idea, guy, uh, guys. And, well, uh, I can I can say, yeah, I, I can claim no credit for different. it. Um, you should. Well, no, I really, I, I all all credit all credit to our to our friends uh, at Dice Claudio and Joshua for inviting me. You know, the the, the podcast started before me uh, uh, with Ted Price from Insomniac, and uh, and I loved the format, and I had listened to it here and there. Uh, because I, I had friends who had been guests, um, uh, and I was like, oh, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know it, know it, but I, but either way, you're, 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 you're very kind. I consider it a real privilege to be able to have these unguided, uh, chats and, and especially, um, in this case, because as someone who to just to, just to steer it back on you as much as I appreciate your, your kind words, uh, and I'm grateful that you feel this comfort, uh, but I, I love, I, something I re 
retained from every conversation we've had and was echoed even on doing this panel remotely over Zoom recently together in, in Poland, uh, is that you put a lot of thought into your work and a lot of process. And yet, if I may say, and correct me if I'm mischaracterizing you, you are also a very intuitive musician. You you rely on what feels right and you're not afraid to go with something because it it has the right feeling even though i think you you bring a you bring a powerful intellect to your writing and the balance of those two things is is not common sometimes people are pure instinct right they just write music based on how it feels and it doesn't matter to them anything beyond the emotion it evokes right there in that moment and it's very spontaneous and then for others it's a rigorously intellectual process that is almost detached from how it makes them feel. Um, You're damn right, my friend. You're damn right. Then you know, uh, you, you know why? Uh, because you know the intuition is the most important thing. It's so important that at some point in my career, I I realized that if uh, I don't have more authority in my music production. I won't be able to express myself freely and openly and the way I do, because at the end of the day, the most important thing for me, which I keep uh, telling to my students and to my uh, guys, is that uh, the most important thing is to enjoy the process of creation. If you don't enjoy the process of creation, we cannot expect that anyone else there will be enjoying our music when it's released, right? I believe that you'd agree with me. And going back to your question, to enjoy the process, we need to follow our, our intuition in the first place. Because if we only follow temp tracks, guidelines, direction, or anything else, and not just look deep down inside and, and, and in, you know, bring out the music that uh, is uh, born uh, uh, and follow our intuition, it's not going to work in, at the end of the day. Because we cannot fake, we cannot fool the people. I believe that you, you, you'd agree with me. People always understand when a music was composed with intuition, with passion, and when the composers had fun during the, the process of creation. And that's why we share something very special. Remember what I told you one, one day, that I, uh, when I see that you scored a game, this is an instant buy for me. You know why? <laughs> uh, not, not because you know you, 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 I, I love your music and you as a composer so much, but because I know that you always stay faithful to, uh, to yourself about being... Uh, uh, being free to experiment, to express yourself, and never to to put any constraints and limit uh, on yourself. At least that's the way I feel, and I can give a lot of examples. And uh... <laughs> well, that's very kind. Um, I want to I, I want to jump onto something specific that you said that's interesting because I it sounds to me that the kind of cliche of the tortured artist is very antithetical to how you feel like like when we think of the classic mythology of beethoven where the creative process is at least in the kind of uh perception of him i don't know how historically accurate this it's not really provable how true this is but certainly the perception is that he did not derive joy from the creative experience that was actually deeply painful to him and uh, and the and of course you can feel that pain in a lot of in a lot of the writing, but even in the joyous music that he wrote, it did not come easily. And it sounds like you're saying you um, you come at this from essentially the opposite direction. Uh, if it's torture, yeah, something's very, wrong. Yeah, yeah. You, actually, I'm very you know uh, this is very interesting what you're saying, and I never thought about it, but now that you mention it. 
makes me wonder and makes me uh, realize that you're totally right. It's 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 completely the other way around with me. And uh, I even remember a moment when my boss, uh, I was telling him a very happy event from my life uh, about uh, something. I don't remember what it was, but I was very happy. And he said, and, and what? Now you're going to start uh, composing shit music because you're a very happy person. And we were laughing, but... Uh, this is basically what you're saying. And now I realize that it really doesn't work this way for me. I can, I can write and compose the most dramatic and sad music when I'm happy and when I enjoy the process of creation. And I, when I feel totally down and miserable, honestly, I, I, I simply isolate myself and it's really hard for me to compose and produce music. I don't know. Maybe it's just, me. maybe it's just me. No, sometimes of course, uh, uh, if you, if you, if, you feel an overflow of, of emotions, love, hate, or pain, or anything else. Of course, uh, this could be a driving force to compose piece of music. But when I think about it, when I draw the line at the end of the day, I'm most productive, and I composed uh, the highest quality music when I feel, I, when I feel satisfied, happy, and uh, when I'm in, uh, I have the internal harmony in myself. So how know. do you deal? So then, what happens if you're working on a project? that, you know, as just sometimes it happens, uh, you know, the whole issue of crunch and scheduling is a very contentious topic in the game industry these days. Um, uh, but I, I do think, uh, in my personal opinion, sometimes it is just unavoidable because creative work is so hard to schedule predictably. predictably. Right, uh, so how do, you, how do you cross that bridge? Because there's no doubt that it's very stressful and very taxing. But it you is, still have a job is, to do, so how you know right. you're 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 definitely a consummate professional. So how do you how do you force yourself to create? You must surely have some kind of you know process or like ritual to get yourself in gear if you're stressed and feeling down and horrible, but but the deadline is looming because. If- yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, actually, this is a really br- brilliant question, and I'm uh, uh, I'm gonna try to connect it to the previous uh, uh, topic about uh, is it true that uh, you know. Only tortured artists could produce something uh, very special and high-quality music. The thing is, my friend, that uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it was a completely different story in my career. Uh, Back then, uh, the stress was huge. Okay, to put it in a different way, in the early days of my career, the stress was way bigger and uh, it was exactly the, the way you, you're explaining. You know, I, I, I was supposed to work uh, under very heavy constraints, the, the time-limited uh, uh, milestones and uh, a lot okay. of people I had to um, report to. And you know what? Now when I look back, I realize that even though the music was well accepted and received, it was completely different in comparison to the one that I compose and produce it now. And now what the, uh, what, the, the, what is the difference? When I'm under stress, when I, uh, when I don't have all the freedom in the world, when I have to follow you know, somebody else's direction, when I say somebody else's, I mean completely different than the one that I would follow personally, provided right. I have freedom to do so, I go in a very special mode. Uh, and it's... Uh, very pragmatic, right? Uh, pragma- pragmatic means, you know, um, I try to compose a music that I'm 
more or less certain that it's gonna work and the music that is yeah, going like to it's work, it's safe you're not embracing yeah. any risk yeah. right sure exactly exactly you cannot embrace any risk I, I play safe I produce safe of course I try to uh, to be as original as possible in terms of uh, you know thematic material but at the end of the day when you draw the line it's more of the same nothing new under the sun and this is the main reason and the main moment I realized that I need to do something in my career. I need to, to make a huge change. And you know what I did? I decided that from this point on, uh, I, will, uh, I will try to be not only the composer, but also the music director. Ah. It was very hard. It was very hard because basically I wanted to be uh, my own boss. So uh, at the beginning, the people were like, what? What what exactly are you saying here? Do you want to be uh, you know the, the guy that approves the music or gives the direction? We don't really get it. And I said, guys, if you truly believe me, if you truly believe me that I'm the right person for your project, uh, you should give me all the freedom. You should uh, let me express myself freely uh, and and come up with something new, put something new, brave and inventive on the table. If you uh, and I promise you that it's gonna be driven and provoked by your child, your creation. Right, yeah, the game The uh, game will be the, the guiding light. Yeah, the game is going to be, you know, the driving force, the story, the narrative design, the, the gameplay, the visuals, everything. But you need to trust me if you want me to be your guy, which means that automatically, you know, uh, this means that I, was, I needed to be not only uh, the composer, but I also need to be the music director and, and, and the producer. Oh, basically... <laughs> It was an impossible request, as you can imagine, because this is really the case. Were you uh, working? Were you up to that point in your life? Had you only worked as a composer freelance? Yeah, yeah. And, and so and basically, was, what you so then, if I understand correctly, you basically are saying, at that moment, you wanted to look for a a staff position as a music director, because uh, like, it, well, is that a fair assess, assessment then? Like, I, I want to be employed. It is. It is, uh, it is a very fa uh, fair assessment. And basically, uh, the, I realized that the only way to keep developing myself, not only as a composer, but also to be the music director and the producer of the, of the production, that's the only way to go. Because it's really rare and hard. Basically, correct me if I'm mistaken, but uh, there is no such a position. You cannot be a freelance composer at the same time and, and the music director in, in a game production. I mean, yeah, I, I have a few, in there's theory, a few friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really like it's, it's yeah, really it's, the key. Exactly. Yeah. Very. Yeah, I. Yeah. Darren. Darren Korb is the audio director at Supergiant, and when I um, released, but this is exactly what I am actually, because he basically Darren and I share the same boat. Uh, yeah. More or less. Oh, for sure. No, it's the same. And 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 I've asked them this question before. You know, are you? Could you ever take on if someone approached you to score a game other than Supergiant? Could you do it? And he said, you know, I'd basically, I'd basically need special permission from Supergiant, they would probably give it to me, but the scope would have to be pretty small because it's a full-time job. Uh, you know, I already I already have so many hours committed. It's not like I'm sitting on my ass most of the time. Uh, and so, exactly, you know... Because he's also the audio director. I mean, uh, if you're yeah. only a, a composer, in-house in composer, that would be a completely different story. But when you're the composer, the music, and the audio director, it's basically a, an even beyond full-time job. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I actually doubted that he could score even a small indie game 
with uh, all those responsibility uh, on his shoulders. It, it would but, not uh, be easy. <laughs> no, definitely not be easy, and definitely it would not be worth it, if you ask me. But going back to your question, uh, yeah, I can work, and you know, when I work under stress and under very limited and uh, tough circumstances. Uh, my style of composing and producing music uh, is completely different. Uh, then the only or mm, the, the the originality comes mainly from the thematic material and not so much from the style and from the uh, new and brave elements which I would put on the table. But uh, when I have, a, you know, yeah, yeah, of course, and and that's why I decided that I would rather, you know, turn the wheel and do something completely different, start developing myself in a slightly different direction. And if you look back uh, in the past five, six, ten years, all the, uh, the, the games that I, uh, that I scored, basically I'm not only the, the composer, but also the music director, because I realized that uh, that's the only way I can have all the freedom in the world to express myself freely. And if the guys are happy with my work, they will keep working with me. If they're not happy, fair enough. Obviously, that was not that was not the right fit, and I just need to keep looking for my my people. But I was so <laughs> very happy. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and I was seriously lucky because you know I I cannot lie. I I, I must admit that I'm the luckiest uh, uh, composer in the world at the moment because uh, especially the past uh, five six years in my career, uh, finding my professional home at Larian Studios was a dream come true. Well, that's a perfect segue. I was going to say, uh, you know, your because re- ironically, we've talked for a half an hour and we haven't even um, discussed any of your uh, specific projects. But I really want to I really want to get into them. And obviously, so you joined Larian, you said five, five, six years ago. Uh, yeah, I believe I believe so. It was 2016, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, 2016. So let's let's come to that in a moment. I'd love to go back. Uh, earlier, um, because your experience in this, uh, like you worked on Crisis Two and Crisis Three, which are obviously pretty, pretty um, enormous titles, and um, but you were not in a music director position there, right? I was. Uh, I was. Oh, you were. Okay. Okay. Well, good. I'm. I'm glad I asked because I was going to say I don't. Yeah. I don't <laughs> consider those to be safe. Uh, and that's why I was going to try and challenge, uh, but I'm glad I had that missing information then. Okay, because the story that you told me once that I hope you don't mind me uh, sharing here was um, when you came to L.A. for your uh, meeting with Hans Zimmer regarding Crisis 2. Um, uh, Papa Hans, I'll never forget you called him, which to this day I think of that and I'll just burst out laughing randomly. Um, <laughs> and uh, I love it. And you told me that you spoke for like hours and, 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 uh, and you couldn't tell the read on the situation until finally you said something like, you know, is this of interest? And, and correct me if I'm wrong, that his response was something to the effect of, do you think I would have let you just talk for this much time if I wasn't interested? (laughs) That was a historic moment in my life, actually, because he was basically not, we were not only talking, but I was playing my music to him. Uh, the, the the long story short, I was supposed to present the music that was composed. The main body of the work was done at that time when I visited LA, and I was supposed to meet uh, uh, 
uh, Uncle Hans or Papa Hans, uh, the, the way I uh, yeah. love Uncle it. Hans, actually. I think it is, yeah, Uncle. I think, <laughs> I, think, um, I, yeah. think I messed it up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was over the moon of joy because uh, at that time, you know, um, it was a dream come true to, to meet the, such a legend like himself. And I was supposed to present the, the, the main body of the work because the score was done. I, I'm talking about the, um, the in-game music. Right. And uh, I was lucky that our producers had uh, the budget and the contacts uh, to to hire Hans to give the frames and to to compose the main themes of the. Uh, but this time around, it, it was done the other way around. Instead of at the beginning, the main themes were composed at the end to give the, the you know the quality and these Hollywood frames he's basically known from right. uh, known for, and uh, uh, absolutely amazing experience because. You can imagine uh, a small boy like myself coming from a post-communist country, all of a sudden, uh, you know, uh, sitting in the red cabinet of the legend Hans Zimmer and playing his bloody music to this legend. I mean, I couldn't believe it was happening. And then at, at some point, uh, you know, I was shy enough, to, but brave enough, enough rather to say, uh, do you think it, it's okay? Or something like this, and this is exactly when he he said, "Do you think I I, I would be wasting my time if it wasn't?" <laughs> yeah, and this was hours, right? I mean, you, I think you said it was like two hours it or was something. Hours, yeah, because it was a huge score. It was five hours of score, and uh, of course, I, I I selected the best pieces of music that I considered the best at that time. But still, playing uh, two hours of music uh, music of your own to to the legend Hans Zimmer, it was a surreal moment in my life. And and uh, I can tell you an, another amusing story about Hans, by the way. Uh, at the end of our meeting, um, everybody uh, went outside to, for a smoke. And um, I was alone with Hans. So I had like 15 to 20 minutes to, to talk, just two of us. And then uh, I said, Hans, can I tell you a story, a short story? And he answered, but of course, go ahead. And I said... Many years ago, when I scored my very first game, uh, I gave an interview. And the very last question of the interview was, if you have a chance to meet one person in the world, who would that be and what would the question be? And I made a pause, dramatic pause, looked (laughs) in the eye and asked him, and and do you know what my answer was? And he goes, please, do tell me. And I answered I said that the person that I want to meet is Hans Zimmer. And the question I want to ask him is, may I shake your hand, Mr. Zimmer? And telling him this, you know, I, I, I gave my hand to him. And it I, was, ma- I, imagine he, I imagine he rejected it resolutely and you were, <laughs> were heartbroken. He gave, me, he gave me a big smile. He shook my hand. And honestly, this is one of the real highlights in, in, in my life because we all grew up with uh, his uh, scores, right? And uh, Yeah, absolutely. Well, and yeah. that was that was one of the first times he ever I think it was the second time specifically he had dipped his toes into the world of games uh, if I remember correctly. It wasn't um right. wasn't, Call, uh, of Call of Duty was was yeah, was not long before that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so but then moving on from so you were music director at Crytek. I I don't I don't think I remembered that detail. Uh, yeah, basically that was the reason uh, I went to LA because uh, I was not only the lead composer but also the music director, and I was supposed to to discuss the direction with Hans and to present him the entire score. 
basically that was the reason we uh, we went to LA and and, and spent uh, I believe a week or so there. And so the first, so then, so you would, you came into that position because Crisis One, I think, is Enon, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, that's another story, by the way. There is a curse or a blessing in my career that you know I always score the second part in a series. So I scored, <laughs> I scored Crisis Two, I scored Two Worlds Two, I scored Divinity Original Sin Two. I mean, I was like, come on, give me a break, and then you know it happened. Well, you've, I mean, you've upgraded with Baldur's Gate Three. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I went plus one, but yeah, it's a nice change. But still, still, it, it's it's very challenging because. Uh, when you're supposed to to fill somebody else's shoes, especially when we're talking about people like uh, Enom, uh, it's definitely a challenging task. And previously, you know, the legendary composer of uh, of Divinity series, uh, Kirill Pokrovsky, I always need to fill somebody else's shoes, which is always a huge challenge and huge uh, stress, honestly speaking. And that, and that, well, and it's funny because that's not something that you can deliberately. Like no one could intentionally make their career no, that no, no. way. It's just I been would, a fascinating. I would, I would do the opposite, actually, if you ask me now, I would do the, totally the opposite because you know the challenge, the stress, and the expectations are so huge. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah. it scares the shit out of me. I mean, uh, uh, but uh, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I believe that you and I are share the same passion, and if it's not challenging. And it's not something that we can come up with new and brave ideas. We we wouldn't be able to express ourselves the way we do, actually. And one of the things, again, I, I need to mention some of your music. One of the things that I truly enjoy about listening to every uh, new score of yours is that you always put something new. And you always surprise okay. me. That's very kind. Well, I, I, feel the, I feel the same. I remember uh, specifically with um, Divinity Original Sin 2, I was on the jury for Dice, um, and that was the first time playing the game and and hearing the score in context was the first time. I, I had known you did it, um, but I just hadn't had a chance to check it out. Um, and I remember going and listening, and um, it you know, it's it's one of those where it that's the kind of game that very much looks like a video game. Mean, meaning, you know, you have games like, I mean, Crisis actually is a good example where, the, you know, as games have raised their production value and become more, quote, cinematic, and you have recent games th this year, like The Last of Us Part Two or The Ghost of Tsushima, where there's this kind of arms race to be to be more cinematic, cinematic. more yeah. realistic, all those things. Yeah. And so then yeah. when you play a game, actually, you're right, agree. Yeah, and so it's like, it's why... It's why I think for the, for the, you know, fortunately every year there's fewer and fewer people in the world who just dismiss games because they see, they see it all as Pac-Man, you know? Um, and they just, they, and, and so, and it's a shame because there's such artistry and, and like this year, for example, Hades uh, of Supergiant Games is a good example of, it looks so much, it's beautiful, but it obviously looks very much like a classic video game. And to dismiss it would be to dismiss something of tremendous artistic value. In fact, it kills me that I, I, we, we chatted on here with Darren before that game came out. Cause I would have loved to really get into some nitty gritty now that I've played it an ungodly number of hours. But, uh, the, um, uh, divinity Two, original sin Two, 
um, has the same trapping where you look at a glance and you're like, oh, okay, yeah, it's a video game. I've, I'm familiar with video games. It's so easy to dismiss it. And uh, as, as soon as I um, fired it up, what, what I loved was that your music was like, I, this is, this is a, this is going to be a, an emotional experience with complete and total conviction. There was zero sense that this should be anything other than a, a serious work of art, even if the mechanics it's leaning on and the, you know, the isometric uh, uh, sort of design. Um, these are familiar concepts within the world of video games, but this is a serious creation. And this, and, and I, to me, the music was the first thing that made me pause and go, this is a, this is a real game. Uh, this is a real, this is a proper experience because you, you committed to it so fully and with such class and, and, I, and I, plus I got to say, man, not a lot of composers can also just write a tune, like just fully a melt up, like in the simplest sense, a melody that's memorable. And, and I, I was so, um, charmed that first thing out of the gate was this, this theme that was like a real theme that reminded me of the themes I grew up listening to of, of, mom, of, mom. Uh, I mean, it's really, it's uncommon. It's, it's really, uh, uh, you know, cause it's, it's, it's hard first off, but also I need to tell you now, I need to stop you and to tell you now, my friend, uh, you know what? I will never forget your reaction when you dropped me a message over Facebook to, to, to let me know what you think about a score. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I forget most of the things, but you know what, that is one of those moments that I, uh, I remembered. You, you dropped me a message uh, and it was something like, hey, dude, this is really cool. It sounds like a really high quality musical. I love it. And I was like, damn, this is really good. Feels really good that, you well, know, somebody like, Austin, somebody like Austin can tell you such a, a heartwarming, uh, you know, thing. And uh, what I'm trying to say is that uh, coming from you, it means a lot, man. It means truly a lot well, because it, it, you know, it's it's, it's real genuine music, admiration. I, uh, you know what I wanted to, uh, to, to, to touch base about. You know um, this. Uh, uh, why this is a really brilliant idea that music composer is uh, hosting and uh, uh, leading the conversations in, in the podcast because it feels completely different and it gives a completely different name to the to the relationship between the composers. Because I don't know how do you feel about it. It's sort of a taboo topic. But sometimes if I step out of uh, our of my circle of trust, uh, where you are one of my main persons, it feels I can feel the cold-blooded uh, and hostile behavior. I don't know if it, I don't I don't want, you know, to, 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 to you know, to go too deep into a such a sensitive topic but i hope you understand what i'm saying and uh what makes me really happy is that uh in the past couple of years uh there is a development in a completely different direction where all the composers feel so much like band of brothers like uh, rather yeah. than you know uh, deadly competitors who would rather you know uh cut their throats rather than you know sharing ideas thoughts and uh yeah but you know what I mean, and uh, I dream for the moment, my friend, when the, you know this circle of trust of ours. It's not going to be a circle, but a sphere of trust. <laughs> That's the goal. I mean, to me, my simple philosophy is: 
Because I... at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the day, what is the most important thing? We cannot, you know, we can only be inspired and provoked by one another, and we can support one another, and we can, uh, you know, uh, 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 ha- have this healthy c- competition, uh, and at the same time, uh, healthy feedback and inspiration and shared passion for for music. And I think that that's the only way to go to the next level and to, to get even wider and more passionate audience at the, at the end of the day. And that's why when I talk with with people like you, this makes me immensely happy. Yeah, I was actually going to, I was I was essentially going to say the exact same thing. I, for me, the the art form um, is what I, I, I mean, I love, there's two things I love equally. It's humans. I love, I love, you know, inspiring people i love like i love when people inspire me i mean I, I, if i can be inspiring too that's also wonderful if it's if it if it happens but what i mean is that i i try to hold people close to me that 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 drive me and make me better and inspire me um but i but i also i really really love the art form for its for its own sake and the idea of supporting uh, colleagues and propping each other's work up what i like it, that solves both of those things in one move because it means that the art form is made better like if 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 i had any hand in uh uh, uh supporting the career development of somebody and then they went off and did something that really elevated the the, the art like they went and wrote just the the, the score of the year you know and and if i played some small role in in that that's something i would I would have as much pride in that than anything I could ever write of my own because I I would I would think I I love that this person they went and made the business better they made games better there will be more inspired and stimulated gamers uh, out there and 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 people uh in you know enjoying this work for what it is hopefully getting meaning from it growing from it being uh, provoked uh, having thoughts provoked from it and if I played some small role in that happening even though if I didn't have any real direct role in its creation, I take a lot of pride in that because, you know, I want the art form to flourish because in the end, the better it is, the it's just, it's just a better world. So I, I, uh, I, I feel, I, I feel the same. And I do think as someone who walks a little bit in the film world, I do, I do love our, our game music community so very much because uh, it's, 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 as you just said, there is a kind of a sphere of trust and broadly yeah. speaking, you know, there's a lot of a lot of the composers uh, maintain t- touch with each other, support each other. You know, I, I very often when I have a new release come out and I'll write something on Twitter, if I peruse the retweets, you know, it'll be it'll be people like you or it'll be people like, uh, uh, you know, J- Joe and Alexis, you know, the, the flight um, uh, in the UK or, or, right, or Jet, right, Curry, right. you know, or Yoris Demand. There's a lot of. Darren, you know, Jason Graves, like I have a lot of friends who who are very supportive of what I do and, and, and back and I back at them. And I always I always take note of that when I see them uh, doing this. And it, it really, um, yeah, it's I think beautiful. it's a beautiful culture for us to try to keep. Yeah, it, it's very beautiful. And uh, correct me if, I, if I'm mistaken, but what makes me very proud is that our game community, circle or, or sphere of trust, is something uh, completely different thing than... Uh, the, the the film scoring uh, community. Oh, nightmare! I, I yeah. might, I might no, no, be no. wrong. No, you're not. You're not at all. The, the... Happy that the game, the game, the game people. We are different sort of people. I don't want again to sound uh, racist or, or or anything or to put our myself aside. But uh, 
I'm honest person as you and, uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, makes me very happy that the video games are not only different media but uh, specifically the video game composers are willing to stick together which is really cool yeah I think my my you're absolutely right I mean I've I've spent a lot of time with people that pretty much exclusively work in film and television and there's there is there are you know there are composer friendships uh, you know, like famously Hans Zimmer or James Newton Howard, that kind of thing. But um, but obviously they're they're the exception, and that's what makes them memorable. And my only hypothesis about that is that the film industry is it's basically a hundred years older than the game industry, or seventy years older, and so it's it's grown, it's kind of gotten comfortable. It's it's like it's like the equivalent of a of an old man who says. Look, I, I do things the way I want to do things. Don't try and change me. And it's like you're—it's like the racist grandpa where you're like, look, he just comes from a time where he people didn't didn't correct him when he said racist shit, <clears throat> and now he's just so used to saying it that the the battle that would ensue trying to make him stop is just not worth it. So you just have to make peace with the fact that he's a racist, but he's probably not also an asshole. Uh, to the extent that those two can coexist, it, it kind of feels like that in a way. You've got yeah. you've got yeah. a culture where people are like, "Look, this is just composers don't really band together, with rare exception, uh, because that's how it's been for sixty years, you know." And it wasn't always like that right. in the early days. Uh, it wasn't like that. And, but so my goal is that as our industry grows older and we grow older with it, that we can try to hang on to that as long as possible. If if in fact age is the main difference between the two. Um, but yeah, I, I and speaking about fun. absolutely agree, man. And speaking about uh, you know how old uh, is the film uh, scoring industry in comparison to the video game music? Do you think that we are coming to an era where the the you know the cult for orchestral music is coming to an end, and uh, we are going to witness uh, different directions in scoring? Because I'm having the impression that um, something like this is happening lately. I, I might be wrong, but, uh, you know, people do enjoy a lot more different styles. Maybe this is just in the video game industry or maybe it's a global thing. I don't really know, but I truly hope that what I'm observing is true on a global level because not that I don't love, I love scoring and I don't, I love using orchestral music, but uh, I believe that we should keep exploring and even though it's such a beautiful uh, tradition when it comes to using the orchestra, we should continue and explore new layers, new directions, new dimensions, if you like. And uh, one of the things that makes me so very happy about video game music it, is that it gives so much more freedom to us, the fellow video game music composers, to explore. And, well, so, um, yeah, I, I have a thought there. Um, yeah. I, so here's... I don't have uh, any kind of empirical data to back this up, but this is kind of what my gut tells me is the answer to that. Um, the let's say that, um, like we're looking at a like a pie a pie graph uh, or a pie chart of the number of and and it's like percentages of scores that are orchestral, and if we go back twenty years. Maybe it's um, 90%, let's say, uh, you know, like 
around 2000, especially once recording orchestra became possible and that became everybody's fantasy, you know, all over again, because a- after we got out of the, the 16 bit era, um, and CD-ROM said, hey, you know, you could actually have a recording session and and that became a thing. Then suddenly it was just like you weren't a real video game unless you had a big orchestra. And 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 so um, so if 20 years ago, let's say 90 percent of scores were orchestral and those that weren't were very atypical. Um, flash forward to today. Um, maybe it's 50 percent. But the thing that would be interesting is if you were to look at absolute numbers Let's say that there were 100 scores released 20 years ago, and therefore 90 of those scores, because of the 90%, 90 were orchestral. Today, if it's 50%, it's still probably 90 scores, but the total number right. of games being made has gone up and therefore forced the percentage down. No. Because I still think there's a ton of orchestral work being done, but we've also just seen more people making more games with wider, you know, the resurgence of chiptunes, all the experimentation with intimate solo scores or things like what Darren does where it's, you know, it's, it's like, it's practically a one man band, you know, Uh, and, um, uh, and everything in between very, you know, super experimental sort of sound design driven work. And it's like, none of those I think have necessarily taken away from orchestral scores. It just means there's more people, there's new people, adding you're to totally the equation. Right. I haven't thought about it, but you're totally right. The number of video games now is completely different. And uh, it's Yeah, and it's definitely different. not twice. I mean, it's like, I mean, <laughs> it's like 10,000 more games per year than last year, it's, never mind 20 years ago. It's madness. Can you imagine? I mean, uh, I, 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 I can't even follow the names of the video games, but, but, the, but it, it's truly amazing uh, how fast our industry is growing. And how fast it managed to catch up with the film industry, by the way, because now it's totally, I mean, it's, it was, it, it's an art on its own, it, its own right already. And it's, it's, it's oh, official. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so oh, thinking down, about yeah. the 100 year old uh, films, uh, film industry and the uh, late 20 years video game industry, we are heroes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it, it's so, well, so going back then to the, cause your use of the orchestra in in Divinity Original Sin 2 was, uh, it was beautifully executed. Uh, and, and, and there was nothing about it that felt like you were sort of using the orchestra against your will, I guess. And so it's interesting to hear you say what you just said, uh, because that's a score that, that, you know, it's written with, with, with integrity. Um, uh, how, how do I how do I reconcile these two statements then? Because it's not like it's only orchestra. Like you you have all these beautiful instruments that that, that you, know, you usually you playing them, isn't it? Uh, you I know you play a handful of yeah yeah. Of these, I have a collection um, of instruments, and uh, that's one of my favorite things. Every time I start a brand new project, when I what I do, I travel to a new places, and I collect and I buy brand new ethnic instruments because I I play stringed instruments, and that's that's. A huge, huge pleasure for myself, and gives me inspiration because you know that every single instrument uh, brings spirit, brings his soul, and uh, pushes you uh, toward a very specific direction. And uh, it was the same with with Divinity. The moment I realized that I have all the freedom in the world, you know, it was decided. It, I'm gonna use the foundation of the orchestra, but I'm gonna make a hybrid score, and uh, I'm gonna go wild <laughs> with any bloody single instrument that comes to my mind. And uh, yeah, I used maybe more than 25 different instruments for this score. And Not it's, all of them performed uh, by me. 
Okay, that just, was good. Yeah, that was my question. Just two? Just a few, just a few. Uh, oh, okay. um, uh, I was lucky enough to have a lot of um, passionate musicians by my side. So a, a lot of uh, specifically woodwind instruments and some of the string instruments were, were performed by uh, other fellow musicians. But uh, every time I have the opportunity, uh, I play myself. Because the thing is that one of my favorite instruments to compose is basically a guitar. You know, it's like 70 to 30%. So most of the people, I believe, including you, you are composing with piano. Piano is your main composing instrument. Correct. Uh, I, w- I would assume. But for me, it's the other way around. I mean, I use piano, but it's not my main instrument to compose music, believe it or not. And even if some of the uh, some of my um, most and, uh, and the, you know, best accepted pieces were initially composed and not composed, but let's say sketched and mocked up starting with a guitar. So how do you make that work then? Because the guitar, part of what gives the piano, just for, especially for anybody listening who's not a composer, but part of what makes the piano a very effective tool is that it's, it's probably one of the most neutral instruments. You can use a piano to write for other instruments. You're right, my friend, and this uh, is the reason why most of the composers use it as, the, as their main instrument to, to compose. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, guitar yeah. Guitar really pushes you towards sounding like a guitar. Uh, I'm going to tell you a secret now, and it's not going to be a secret anymore. Second uh, time tonight, today. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, because I feel most comfortable with string instruments, not only guitar, but the guitar family in general, I have uh, a lot of different instruments from all over the world in my collection. So what I usually do, I, I tune, um, you know, the string instruments I'm going to use for a specific composition in a, in a very custom way. So I tune, the, uh, tune my guitar, let's say, in a specific way which suits the very composition, the very idea that I have in my, my, my mind. So it's not tuned uh, necessarily in the orthodox and the traditional way. Right, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I would uh, you'd have but, to. Uh, but I take the time to, to, to tune it in a way that it supports what I'm trying to do at the moment. This is the first part of the secret. And the second one is that I always sing when I compose music. Not always, but let's say a lot of the time I... And that's why, my friend, you noticed, uh, you know, the tendency to put a lot of thematic material in my scores. Mm-hmm. That's the reason why. Because the moment, let's say that I start composing with a guitar tune in a very specific way, guitar is, you know, 50% of the way I express myself and the way I um, sketch up my composition. The other 50% is my voice. And then this is the way I express myself uh, in the best possible way. Uh, and I feel most comfortable. Then when I listen to the recordings, I have a really uh, good um, starting point. And then I start and I, th- then, uh, th- then what I do, I, 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 I jump uh, on my computer gear and I start arranging, experimenting, developing and pushing the composition in that or, uh, or the other d- direction. But the very beginning, the very foundation and the very reason, because because you notice that my music is so thematic, is because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm using guitar and my voice is. Uh, so then, just up. yeah, I mean, it makes total sense. Uh, and I often encourage young composers to try and sing their material uh, because I think what makes 
are what I think just given that human beings are monophonic instruments that can all human beings can sing to some degree or another. Uh, we have the easiest time remembering things that are singable. Uh, and yeah, uh, so uh, it makes total sense that you would have this, this tack, but then just from a purely kind of composer shop talk standpoint, how do you go about the process of arranging something orchestral where the, the, the orchestra is just not put together the way any single instrument is. That's what makes the orchestra interesting is that it does things that you'd need a hundred hands on a hundred pianos to be able exactly. to, to truly yeah. simulate. Um, how do you how do you make that leap if you're leaning so heavily on the guitar? Like for things like, just to be very specific, things like counterpoint or or you know uh, very kind of dense, uh, uniquely voiced harmonies, those kinds of things. Like, are you then just working at a MIDI station like anybody else, or or how do you make that leap if it's so born out of the guitar for you? The thing is that uh, most of the um, in in most of the cases, I start from the theme itself, from from the tune. Not always but uh, most of the times and uh when i have a tune that fully satisfies me that makes me happy you know i can go whenever wherever i like i can i can pick up any direction and i can uh take any harmony that uh i i feel dear to my heart and i can give you examples uh, i often find myself in a situation when uh you know the the basic harmony of the composition I came with at the very beginning uh, goes completely washed away and uh, is completely different at the end because it basically serves only the purpose to come up with a meaningful and satisfying tune theme for me. I see. I see. So it's an iterative. When I have the tune, yeah, it, 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 we're not talking about harmonies because when you when we are when we are when you're using a guitar to accompany your uh basic idea it goes without saying that uh, uh you cannot come with deep meaningful interesting or new harmonies that's not impossible but let's say very very hard and difficult and and rarely the case having so but uh but once i have the theme on the table i'm very happy with it and exactly the way you uh, describe it it's uh, uh easily uh you know uh, repeated by anyone there uh this gives me usually the confidence that i'm on the right track okay this is the theme it's let's say two minutes long with all the variations then i, I sit down and i decide what exactly is the harmony i would like to go for depending on the narrative design depending on the situation depending on this and what i usually do to the point that the people are freaking out sometimes and they some people really uh, i drive some people crazy that i give a different iterations to the, to, to the same tune uh, like in in 10 different ways and mm -hmm. uh, recently i read a comment over of internet i really love uh, the, the music of slavov but he uh, he needs to calm the fuck down with his motifs and tunes because uh, i've been hearing this uh, <laughs> tune for the 15th time and i'm really really tired of it uh and then the, i took you know i couldn't restrain myself and answered i promise this is going to be the last one and <laughs> the, the next you know package of music i'm not going to use this motif anymore relax so uh, what i'm saying here going back to your question is that the very the very essence of my approach is to come up with a theme i'm happy with from this point on i can arrange this theme in a very different directions 
Yeah, I can harmonize. I can, you know, make it. Uh, I can scale it down. I can scale it down. I can make it romantic. I can make it epic. And uh, if I go back, referring to the Divinity Original Sin Two, the main theme has maybe twenty-five different iterations there, depending on the different situations, key story moments in your campaign, uh, battles, and, and, and so on. So. This is the way how I feel comfortable. Now, to that, actually, to that end, I was going to ask you something different, but you just gave me a thought. What? Um, how much do you pre-plan? Like you just said, there's a couple of dozen variations that you're going to end up needing on this theme. How much of that do you know in advance? And that's how you, that's, you know, information that you have at the beginning of the writing process. In other words, you write a theme under the the knowledge that it's going to need a zillion variations versus this is a tune that I want to be very strong, but it really is only going to appear in this particular piece. Uh, and then I will set it aside. And so the it's, it's constraints or it's demands are very different. Uh, another way to just phrase this simpler is how, how much pre-planning of a, of a total score are you in the position of doing most of the time? Do you know what? Very, all the- very, very, very nice question, my friend. So uh, the thing is that it, it really depends on the situation. So uh, usually when I would like uh, to have a theme which uh, would be suitable to be developed and uh, arranged in, in, you know, in a lot of totally different directions, what I try to do is to, make a, the, to come up to compose a very scalable uh, theme is the way I prefer to, to, to name it. So... Uh, even if I come with something very beautiful and very nice that I truly love, if I don't consider it scalable, I don't stop. You know what I'm, uh, yeah. uh, what I mean? Because in some cases, like in the case of uh, Divinity Original Sin 2, so I, I had to come up with an idea which I wanted to govern all the different uh, directions I was supposed to cover one way or the, or the other. There was an epic, uh, you know, uh, dark version. There was, you know, very melancholic, romantic. And at the end of the day, there was, you know, a church I was supposed to uh, to implement the very same thematic material. So it had to be very scalable in any given direction. Well, so and, that, uh, what, what you just hinted on was kind of, what I'm trying to to unearth here is is how, how did you even know all those needs? Like, is this one of those where you're coming in on a project like that, for example, where the developer has already specked out the game far enough? Because if you're staff, you you're there from day one when the game is not even a concept drawing, right? It's just a green light on a, or maybe not even a green light, but it's just a a proposal for a title. Uh, That's so- the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it, my friend. Because being, uh, you know, the director and uh, staying close with all the the, the, the stuff, and um, I have an access to the narrative design from day one, from day zero. So, so do you ever grapple with whatever? Yeah, yeah. I, I totally. I, every single day, I update myself with the new story, with the new narrative design, with the new gameplay design, with the new level design, and uh, this is an ongoing process. And uh, at the very beginning, what I have at my disposal is basically the initial script, the initial idea with the the, the initial story. Of course, this story is being developed, changed a lot and updated throughout the entire game development process. But at the end of the day, the very core, the very essence of the idea, what is going to be all about is there. So I have the information. And uh, going back to your previous question, when I have this information, then I, I know that I need at least two themes which should be completely scalable in any given direction, up and down. And I was even having this conversation with one of my guys 
I was arguing that basically, uh, if you have a, a scalable theme, you cannot make any type, any, any kind of arrangement. You can make it scary, you can make it happy, you can make it romantic, you can make it uh, whatever you like, as long as this is a really good and scalable thematic material. By scalable, I mean something that uh, when it's stripped down uh, to its uh, you know pure uh, form and nature, it's very clean, very hooky, and um, I don't know how to put it in English. Yeah, but... it, well, yeah, I can easily uh, offer at least my take on it, which is that it's something that can undergo a lot of variation while still being clear what it is. Exactly, my friend. This is exactly what I was trying to say. Can you please give me some English lessons? Uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, well, for a savage, you do quite well. But, uh, I, uh, well, so then have you ever had a situation, because that that's all sounds very kind of, you know, nice and, and according to plan that you're just basically uh, working alongside them. But I certainly in my experience, there have been plenty of games where some big creative revelation from the team, from a design standpoint, from a narrative standpoint or whatever, midway through makes me realize that uh, all the music suddenly has to change because uh, the game is now X instead of Y and the score is still Y. So I got to either throw it out or dramatically rewrite it, even though I'm still doing everything that you just said of looking daily at the newest work on narrative design and the script and a lot, a lot, a lot. Of, sometimes they just have those moments of epiphany and you no, just you're right, you're have right. to throw it all away. So has that happened for you and, and how did you deal with it? This is very stressful, and of course, it did happen to me in the uh, more often in the past, as you can guess. Uh, you know, before I started to develop myself as a music director, because uh, when I, you know, stay close in contact with the guys, they can really surprise me. And sort of now, let's say in the uh, during the past five, six years, you know, I, I have the privilege and the chance to. To stay so close to to, to the to the people that create the video game that uh, I can I can sort of predict where we are heading, well we will be heading tomorrow, and uh, so this is not a thing today for me, but yes, I've been there before, and first of all it's very stressful, uh, and I'm a weakling I must admit when it comes to you know coping with stressful environment all the time, but uh, what I what I was doing back then. Um, I was trying first to identify who my boss is, and yeah. uh, uh, you, you, you know what I mean. Because sometimes, uh, you know, even if there is a certain uh, a change in course, or, or the, uh, you, you need to tackle with when there are more than one cooks in the kitchen. Oh yeah. Uh, the most important thing is to realize who's exactly is the driving uh, the directive force there, because not it's not always. Uh, obvious is what I'm saying, and then I mean the essence. What, I, of what, what you just said is such a massive point, and for anybody who's kind of young and hasn't really had a high pressure environment uh, yet, I that's to me that's the defining quality of what makes a situation high stress or high pressure. Because usually creative work, we can do the creative work, but yeah, when, yeah, but when the, the right. powers the powers that be at the table or the or the cooks in the kitchen. 
disagree on what that ought to be and you don't know exactly. who's really in charge boy god exactly. that, that that's 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 an insanely challenging one to navigate exactly so going back to your question the very first thing i was doing back then when i was you know frequently finding myself in a uh, in a situation like this i was doing my best to, to to find who the boss was so when this happened i talked to the to the real boss and uh there were two uh two options option number one uh if there was a, a, a thematic material which was appealing to the boss i was supposed to follow the, uh, his or her direction then of course i would rather take the the good thematic material which is already approved and uh, was going to work for this new direction and just provide a new arrangement within the context of the new direction and if it doesn't of course there's nothing else but sit down and uh, come up with a brand new piece of music, which is, of course, even more stressful because uh, the <laughs> time is running out and uh, you need to sustain the quality and at the same time to uh, to follow the brand new direction. Uh, but uh, the clean answer is that I try to, to, to you know, to extract the, the, the thematic material, which already appeals to the, uh, to the, you know, to the person in charge. Right, sure. Have you ever had a situation where you made the wrong estimate of who is in charge of course <laughs> of course a lot of times many times and you know yeah the pain is is real <laughs> yeah it, i've i've had i've i've had that as well especially on movies where the director and the producers yeah. are uh, yeah. disagreeing and the director yeah. is like the creative leader but the producers most often they're really the ones in charge and um, and it is, it's, uh, it's especially challenging in a situation where the director is actually how the project came to be. Um, it's very strange. You know why? Because usually the way I see it and the way I would, uh, you know, uh, uh, the way I see it is the director and the producers should be, uh, you know, on the same page. Well, you'd uh, think so, wouldn't you? <laughs> And, and uh, because more or less, of course, creative differences and producer difference, this is something normal. But uh, what drives me really crazy, what was driving me really crazy is when I was finding myself in a situation when, you know, I was dealing with a producer and a, and a, and a, and a, and a director, which were on a completely different pages. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? How am I supposed to cover all the bloody different nuances? It sounds like a madness. I mean, uh, it's is it even possible? And then that was the moment I realized that I need to do something different. I need to change my approach. I need to change my strategy because I was going to run crazy. Uh, you, you know, the biggest mistake the young composers do is that they try to appeal to everyone at the same time. Oh, too true. And even though it, it sounds like a very tempting approach because, you know, I want to make everyone happy because I'm really good and I'm, you know, I, I can I can make it mainstream. I can make it universal. I can make everyone in the universe happy. No, you cannot. There will always be a single person and it's, uh, you know, subjective and who is not going to be happy with your genius and brilliant piece of music otherwise <laughs> and that's why uh, you know I, I would rather you know growing colder and uh, you know uh, being more experienced resulted in in changing my strategy and first trying to identify who is really the guy i need to following rather than trying to appeal to everyone at the same time i think that that, that that's also just a bigger philosophical way to be you know in terms of uh just the audience, never mind uh, your boss, but but just the idea of writing a piece of music that there will be people 
who just don't really like it. Uh, and you know, like if I want to write something that's very slow and beautiful and, and touching, uh, you know, there's going to be some like hardcore metal fan that's just not into it. And, and I have to, and I, and, and that's, that's okay. We, that's actually, that's actually what we want. It, it, you want to, to actually make a statement that, that yes. some people yes. will like yes. and some will not. Uh, and yes. I think, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's hard though, especially when you're, you're starting and you, but you, you can make, I love the word statement, my friend, it's a really beautiful word and it, and, and it illustrates very well what we are talking about because at the end of the day, uh, if we try to appeal to everyone else, uh, at the same time, uh, the music will be faceless. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and if we, uh, and, uh, if we want to stay faithful to ourselves and at the same time to follow the direction of the, per- the, the person in charge, we need to make a, to find a way to make a statement. Otherwise, we 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 end up with something that is generic and is expendable and uh, uh, something that uh, even if it serves the purpose it was pre- composed and produced for, it's going to be uh, forgotten uh, within a month after release. But uh, it's not wrong to find a person in charge on any given level. You know why? Because at the end of the day, uh, I believe that a single uh, person vision should be followed. When we have, you know, several visions at the same time, I don't believe that this could result in something memorable, or at least it's it's very hard. Yeah, it's certainly. I believe, I, I believe that no matter what the vision is, here is in a single line. Uh, no matter what the vision is, as long as we all together as a team stand behind this vision, it's going to be something amazing at the end. But so let me ask are... you. Let me ask you then, just pivoting to specifics. Like recently, Baldur's Gate three and my congrats. That's just recent uh, uh, unleashing to the world. Um, uh, how how do you make a statement specifically on this game? How have you managed to make a statement um, uh, given the obvious challenge of you're doing part three, there's parts one and two that musically have their own um, ideas that they are, you know, maybe going to uh, inform what, what you've done and you want to, you know, like you said, like we said, you can't please everybody. There's going to be big Baldur's Gate fans over the years that are yeah. uh, that you have to, you know, you don't want to push them away, but you also recognize that you can't, there's no way, you know in advance that there will be some that won't like it. How did you approach that in this particular case? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a lovely question. Well, as you can imagine, the moment I started to work on the uh, on the franchise, that was the very first question that I had to deal with. And uh, um, at the beginning, I was very tempted just to follow the, the well-established direction and the, the well-established style. That would be the... the, the the easiest way just to follow something that already is well established, well known, the people uh, feel at home. And uh, I was really close to, to take this decision. But then uh, one morning when I woke up, I realized that uh, I, I put myself in my role as a gamer. So I asked myself the question, what exactly means the game music for you? Think about your favorite piece of music. So I, w- I was talking to myself. 
a bit schizo, but that helps sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and I answered. So video game music for me, first, if I love it, if I like it, it enhances, of course, my in-game experience, to put it in a very simple way. I mean, it just elevates my game experience to the next level if I like it and I if I find it suitable. The second thing, what is the video game music for me? It's it's my it's my way it's my way to relieve my favorite moments from a game that I truly love. And uh, what does that mean? So if I play Journey and I love the music, it's one thing. But a year or five years later, when I listen to the soundtrack of Journey, it's my way to relieve my moments, my experience, and it's not just. And the, 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 at this very moment, it's not only the music, but the music unlocks and provokes forgotten emotions, which I truly enjoyed five years ago. You know what I'm saying? And uh, then I, I, I was keep asking myself questions, and then I realized that if I just follow the very same style, basically I won't be provoking anything new. And we are talking about new chapter, new narrative. New, new new origin stories, new characters. Yes, it's the same universe. Yes, we are talking about the third part, and, I, and I'm, I'm not going to say anything else bef- uh, because I don't want to, uh, to, you know, to to, to 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 make a wrong step here. Uh, but uh, what I realized was that the new narrative design and the new chapter and the new characters and new adventures needs to. To be supported by new music because when you experience these adventures and when you enjoyed your adventures when you enjoy carving your own way the moment you finish your favorite game and you and you decide to to, uh, to, to give it another listen to to the music uh, that was accompanying your adventures uh, that's the only way to relieve truly and in a unique way uh, what you experienced in the game well, so then it sounds to me like, and then I realized that that was the, the first part of of, of uh, you know the, the way I was I was thinking about it. But at the same time, you're you're totally right, and I was taking this into consideration. I need to make something to to, to you know to 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 make the people feel at home, uh, because obviously I cannot put heavy metal guitars or whatever I like, or I can go completely wild with psychoacoustic, totally without tonality, you know. And and I did an analysis of the you know uh, of the main elements uh, of the previous installment in the series when uh, I'm, I'm talking about the legendary soundtracks of the previous in- installment in the series, and I took some key elements like the heavy usage of brass, the, the heavy usage of uh, male choir, and stuff like this. You know, contrast like you know a sweeping orchestral passage, and then all of a sudden, you know, a very melancholic uh, uh, harp and stuff like this. Oh. So I took those elements but not in terms of style but rather in terms of instrumentation and vibes and i implemented those in uh in in part of of the new soundtrack yeah that's that's a that's a sort of almost tactical choice like wanting to pay homage yeah 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 but that's not that's not all so that that, that, that's just the first part and then i decided okay this is how i'm gonna uh, approach uh part of the score but there will be another part of the score which will be a completely new thing, something that nobody would expect. And I did, uh, if you remember, I did an A-B... T- basically, what I'm doing in the early access is A-B testing, more or less. Uh, 
I'm observing closely um, the reactions of the people, and I'm very happy to, to let you know, my friend, that the totally brave and completely new styles I introduced are the, 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 the most well accepted. The, you know, that, that's so. All right. There's a lot to get into there because I was going to say um, the uh, the um, there's a kind of optimism and, a, and, a, and an idealism in that approach and that way of thinking where you basically say, I think that the best choice is going to be the thing that just serves the game best and that the players, the players will embrace it because it's the one that was made from the place of, of greatest honesty, the greatest kind of purity of intent um, in a way. It kind of sounds like that's that's um, where you're coming from, like this very um, – it's this very kind of belief that just the the best will will conquer, you know, the cream will rise, that kind of thing. Uh, but that's even, a Larian thing. You know, uh, Larian, uh, the, the, this is very typical about the company. You know, the, 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 this is not the typical uh, – I, I shouldn't say this, but uh, Larian is a family, my friend. It's not. Uh, uh, it's not. Uh, it's not a company. It's not a corporation. It's a big family. It's a big family where everybody's having fun. Everybody's ready instantly to support anyone else. It's a. Uh, it's a place with overflowing emotions, overflowing ideas, sharing uh, uh, responsibilities, sharing ideas, supporting one another. It's an unbelievable place. You know, you should pay me a visit. But oh not my just for, God, I, would for love days. I you know, I invite you to my office in Ghent. It's a beautiful place, one of the most beautiful city. I'm gonna buy you the ticket if you decide to pay me a visit. <laughs> uh, but seriously, I, I need to show you so that you understand what I'm talking about. How how, company, how, uh, how big is the studio now? How many people? It's way bigger than it was uh, during the development of Divinity Original Sin 2. If I'm not mistaken, we were uh, back then we were like 150. Now we are, I think, 350 or so. Wow, that's what much bigger than I realized. Well, yeah, well, but now now we have uh, several uh, studios all over the the globe, and uh, it's not just the studio in Ghent, like it was uh, it was Ghent and Dublin and uh, Saint Petersburg, and now we have uh, a brand new studio in Malaysia. We have a studio in uh, in Canada. It's it's a it's a big company, and but the thing is that this company that that that's very typical for this company. The people enjoy the process of creation. They truly enjoy it. And they not, not only enjoy it because they are very devoted and very passionate game developers like most of the game developers out there, if not all, because uh, I cannot imagine uh, a game developer who is not passionate. But these people, uh, they are very open-minded, they're very flexible, very supportive, and uh, they prefer to... Um, if there is a really brilliant and inspiring idea, even if it if it was put very late on the table, everybody will jump on it to support, uh, you know, the bringer of the idea and to implement it properly, rather than saying, you know what, let's leave it for the next installment in the series, or we don't have the time, or it's too risky. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. uh, th these are people uh, for for whom the most important thing is to. Uh, to make sure that it's a it's it's fun above everything else, and that's why you made me very happy when you shared your observation that it feels and looks like a classical video game, because it's about you know a video game is supposed to be fun to be a game in the first place, not a movie. It's a different 
type of uh, of mentality uh, of game development. I hope you understand what oh, I'm saying. Yeah, of course, absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I so uh, the, the mentality in, in Larian Studios is first and most important thing is that this needs to be fun, needs to be deep, needs to be, uh, you know, the, the player agency is the most important thing. The you know the freedom in the world is the second most or the same of importance, and uh, we need to enjoy the process of creation if we want anyone else. To have fun with the game when it's released, and the only way. Well, that's uh, that I, I, I love that because what I what I love about that is that there's no cynicism in that, meaning absolutely there, no. There's no, 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 no. Yeah, it's great. I love because so often people have this idea of like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of like the old Roman notion of give them games and give them bread. Uh, you know, like people need a, sort of a distraction, otherwise they they uh, they will right. rise against you. And so a lot of game design. or there are certain, not I shouldn't say a lot, but there are very often uh, decisions that are made as a kind of defensive move, as opposed to saying, I I believe that if we make something good, the players will find it. And I'm not going to try to be condescending or I'm I'm not going to try to, um, quote, stoop down or dumb down the game uh, or the music for that matter, uh, because players won't be able to understand it. Like if it's good... uh, they it's will, good. They will. They will. Yeah. If it's good, it's good. And so, but that said, um, there's something that you kind of brushed past, which is really cool. And that I, you, I'm so glad you reminded me because you brought it up in our Polish panel the other day, uh, was, um, during the early access on Baldur's Gate three, you were, you would create two different versions of like a boss battle or something. Right. And, 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 and let player feedback tell you which piece will be in the shipped game. Am I paraphrasing correctly? Yeah, almost correctly. So uh, what I decided to do is to, to implement several uh, different styles of battle music. They all fit and they all follow the narrative design and the situations, but the style is different. And, and, and how uh, would you describe those styles? Like what makes them different from each other? Uh, well, let's say that the, the, the first style is traditional. It, what you would expect from a, from a, let's say, boss fight. You know, sweeping orchestral battle uh, compositions uh, very sure. similar to to, to, to to what you would expect uh, to be there. The second one, for instance, is totally crazy, totally you know different instrumentation, um, a lot of psychoacoustic material, a lot of you know uh, surprising elements. Very eclectic is the the word I was looking for. I'm gonna play for you uh, this piece of music uh, which I'm referencing, and uh, and uh, I was really really surprised because we were you know uh making bets <laughs> with my guys and uh i was saying you know what uh, you know what i i believe that everybody would would go for the safe and the well-known traditional orchestral style because the people would feel at home it's going to be something that uh, they love already and that fits really well and has proven his ability and quality to serve fight so well but now my friend i was very very pleasantly surprised that that this is not the case because i'm following the you know the feedback the forums and uh, everywhere and the people are very 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 happy with the most eclectic piece of music i've ever composed <laughs> did you did, you know did the folks at larian did the folks at larian also think that this 
would be the case? Like, did they think, oh, the the fans and the players will probably go with the um, the familiar, or did they did they say, oh, you're going to be wrong? They're going to like the the more bold one. Well, there are people who who are thinking that the people would go more. You know, both. I mean. There is no something like you know everybody thinks the same way at at Larian, and it's partially the beauty of it. Yeah, sure. Uh, But uh, the what is really important from my point of view is that now when I observe, when I you know when I take the notes, reading the comments and the feedback which we receive on a daily basis, tons of feedback, you know uh, the people truly like and love uh, way better the eclectic and the new style uh than uh, the traditional one how many how many uh how many pieces did you do this for like how many different lo- sort of moments in the game were there diff- two different versions floating out there quite a lot actually because i organized those in in this, uh in different packages so um i basically introduced at least let me let me let me think four different styles of battle music uh, across how many different battles? I'm just trying to get a sense of how much kind of extra music you wrote. Uh, basically, it's really hard to tell you, my friend. I do, I really don't know the number of the uh, of the fights. But the thing is that we are not talking about four pieces of music. We are talking about four packages with music. Yeah, every, exactly. That's music, that's. It seems like a lot. Yeah, every package of music has, let's say, five to fifteen pieces. So that it's a lot. It's it's quite it's it's a huge amount of music. Uh, might be you know uh, funny for you to, to to let you know that the early access of Baldur's Gate three has five hours of music produced. Oh my god! And does that mean that um, all the you know if there were four different possibilities and let's say option B uh, really was clearly the favorite? Does A, C, and D just go in the trash? No, absolutely not, because uh, uh, the thing is uh, that uh, it still serves, supports, the people like it, but uh, the thing is that the focus goes elsewhere now. And uh, that makes me happy because it proves and it shows that the people are open for new, brave, and innovative things. But, but logistically, like, still, what do you do with it? What, if it's not- I, uh, You're asking me what I'm going to do? No, this just gives me the confidence that I can just follow this uh, um, this balance between the, the those different styles. So not it's not like I'm going to. Uh, here is the thing, option number one: if the people were not happy with the new styles, I was going to drop those. Of course, it it goes without saying. Uh, but now that the people truly love and appreciate uh, the new elements and the new styles in the music, what I'm going to do, I will just keep composing and producing music in, in this particular style along with the traditional one. I'm not going to drop anything. Got it. I was going to drop if, if, if it was the other way around, if the people were completely unhappy with the, with the new elements that I was introducing. Yeah, I see. My, I, I, uh, it, I, I it had makes the impression... No yeah, yeah. No, it, it makes total sense. Uh, I, I was under the impression that the score was basically done and that you kind of wrote extra and then we're just going to have to throw some stuff out. But it was actually like as you went, you tested these waters. Yes. Uh, yes. That's yes. that's amazing. I absolutely love that. I, 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 I would probably be very terrified to do that. Um, <laughs> but I, but at the same time, it would be very valuable. Uh, just I, th- I think that that focus testing of the score is such a fascinating idea. 
Do, do players know? You have no idea. I, I, I didn't need, do, you know what I did, by the way? I did, I did uh, um, something with, which was not exactly brave because it was quite safe, if I, uh, I, I must admit. I composed a song in a, in a very musical style. Uh, but I did not uh, implement it in a critically important place. I, I implemented it for a secondary, not so important uh, NPC in the game. Just because, you know, it was, you know, imagine, I mean, typical musical song. And I was really wondering because uh, we were having fun and we were having joke with this one and uh, everybody uh, at Larian and most importantly the producers they were telling me what what the fuck are you doing I mean this sounds like a musical and it sounds like end credits of you know a Disney like movie or something like this <laughs> you're shooting you know a sparrow with a cannon and stuff like this and I said, I'm just having fun. I, I would really love to see what uh, what the reaction is going to be here. And that's why I, I see no problem because it's not like, you know, uh, you, you know, a main character or something that uh, if the people feel completely unhappy about it, it's going to be a big deal or, you know, a big problem. And I'd say, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see what the people are going to do. And I implemented it for, a, you know, a character which now turns... You know, the people start voting and start sending us requests that they would like Larian to make this a main character and one of the origin stories in the game because of the song. Mm. Every, everybody's freaking out because they 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 fell in love with, with this song, which makes them feel totally at home. That now they would really like to make this campaign, this NPC, you know, a hireable and, uh, you know, uh, a recruitable is the right word in English uh, for their party. That's hilarious. So I guess that means it's an experiment it that is, went well. It, but it's amazing, my friend. And that's why I, I keep repeating myself that, you know, Larian is a very, very special place. It's out of space and time. Well, how did you uh, first uh, connect with them? Obviously, you were not there when we first met, uh, and I, I never noticed sort of the exact moment where you made the switch and you and you moved uh, to Belgium. Just out of curiosity, where did that connection come from? Uh, actually, it was a sad moment because uh, I was Larian fan for many years. Uh, I was playing their games since the very beginning of the Divinity series. But I never applied for a job simply because I was uh, truly in love with uh, the work of the previous composer. And uh, it uh, simply made no sense for me to apply for a job where a legendary composer was already uh, producing stuff that I was truly in love, along with the, you know, the millions of, uh, of fans. But uh, sadly, uh, the previous composer, uh, the, uh, his name is uh, Kirill Pukrovsky, uh, passed away and left us. Uh, and uh, it was a very, very sad moment for everyone else. And the moment uh, I, I read the news, it didn't cross my mind to apply for, uh, for a job at Larian because I was so very devastated because at that time I was playing the very first uh, Divinity Original Sin game, mm. which he scored. And six months later, for the very first time, this uh, thought crossed my mind. I realized that Larian has no composer at the moment. And uh, I said to myself, okay, I, I love this company. I love the, the, the game, the games. I've been playing the games of this company for the past uh, 15 years. 
and uh, maybe it would make sense to get in contact with those guys and to offer them my my heart and my my skills and this is exactly what i did uh, i i got in contact and uh, uh i got an invitation to pay them a visit um, i spent few lovely days there we instantly clicked with the team which resulted in the relationship and uh the rest is a history. Wow, that uh, obviously this the on the back of it being a sad and tragic thing uh, that of course is well understood. But overall, what a remarkably kind of s- simple. Uh, it's like finding a soulmate by just randomly picking a city in the world, flying there, and they're waiting at, at the airport. Uh, uh, you know what I mean? It, it feels like what an incredibly smooth transition by the sound of it yes that's why i told you my friend in the beginning of our conversations that i consider myself the luckiest composer there yeah no kidding i i I fully understand um it makes total sense uh well there's something else that you mentioned that i wanted to just circle to um which was you mentioned having students and that was something i didn't i don't think i had any awareness of are you teaching in the midst of all of this as well Uh, or do you just mean things like master classes like when we were in Poland well both um, uh, I was guest lecturer in many different universities and festivals uh, in Europe and uh, once in a while I make some short courses on adaptive video game music because you know that this is another passion of mine I love uh, uh, creating and designing music systems this is maybe one of the biggest passion of mine yeah uh, well, I relate. <laughs> and uh i truly find joy in sharing my knowledge especially when a year or so later some of my students drop me an email and tells me you know i i work for this company already and this is my very first score and i just wanted to share it with you and it's very touching uh because as i told you already i don't believe uh, that the competition means that we should be very protective of our knowledge the other way around because when i speak with young people uh, they provoke me and when i see a really brilliant idea i feel very you know provoked and uh on the alert that i cannot just sit down on my you know yeah but i need to keep developing myself i need to keep to trying to reinvent myself to 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 to, to find new ideas new ground to cover and new areas to explore and uh, going back to your question uh, i don't do this for a living but i truly enjoy doing this and uh, once in a while i get an invitation and as a matter of fact the uh, just yesterday the director of the american film scoring academy called me and invited me to uh, to give uh, lectures yeah, yeah, got it. I, I was going to say the idea of you, you know, grading papers and tests uh, and, and and managing the sort of simultaneous full on career of a an educator uh, struck me as impossible, given how hard I know you work. Um, yeah. But uh, that's just because I, 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 I we've had a similar path, I guess. I, I, I love doing those master classes and and guest lectures and those kinds of things and helping um students similarly but i have to do it in waves because sometimes i i say yes to to too many of those like when the for example when the covid first hit 
and all these yeah. universities were doing their lectures over Zoom and suddenly were desperate for content that they hadn't really uh, uh, equipped for Zoom. I got I got like a million simultaneous um, guest lecture because doing it over Zoom meant you know anyone anywhere could could ask and I said yes to practically all of them, and so I was yeah. like I just became this full time teacher for about a week and a half. And at some point I was like, okay, I got to stop saying it. I love doing it, but no, it's very, you should, very, very you, should, you should always find time to keep doing, my friend. You know why? Because the people love you and the, and it's very inspiring for the for the young composers. I, I'm telling you this. You should never, ever even consider stop doing this. Maybe if uh, you're exhausted or, or you cannot find uh, a lot of time to, to dedicate, but still, please... Do yeah, well, I would favor. never. I would never stop. Uh, I would never stop whole cloth. I, I just. Don't, meant, uh, this, is very, this is important. This is important for the young guys, and I'm telling you because I've been reading comments about uh, not only your music but uh, uh, about these masterclasses, and uh, I always attended one of your talks, and it's very inspiring to the people, and that's why we should keeping uh, keep doing this because back then, a time when I was starting. I remember that it was very hard for me because I couldn't find a single person um, to, to listen to me, to give me an advice, to, to give me a hand and to uh, to tell me something that is inspiring, reassuring and, 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 and uh, in, in encouraging. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And now when I, you know, talk to people like you, uh, I believe that we should always find time to do this. Well, all right. With your encouragement, I will not slow down my my guest lecturing uh, schedule. <laughs> um, no, but I, I actually I, I do totally agree. I, I just my schedule kind of got out of balance, but I do I do in part I suppose it's why I love doing this podcast. But, uh, uh, correct me if I'm mistaken, but tell me, do you feel very inspired and uh, energized when you're giving the lectures to these young people? I I enjoy best the the q and a um because i love to i i learn a lot about their perspective even from the questions they choose to ask um right and i try i try to use that moment which is much more of a dialogue and and not really this monologue of me just throwing information at them but i like to try to cater my information towards wherever their concerns are in the hopes that I might offer something that's that's useful to whatever they are thinking about, as opposed to just, here's what I th think is important, and I want you all to know it. You know, my yeah. mind tends to wander, so I can I can talk about a lot of different subjects uh, and, and, you know, not necessarily as an expert, but I, I'm curious by a lot of things or about a lot of things. And so, yeah, I, I in fact, many times I'll show up uh, for like a two-hour masterclass or something with zero lecture prepared, and I'll just say, someone ask a question, because it can usually get like 20 minutes of discussion per question easily. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. and uh, so we just go. We just we just explore together, and I love, especially when I can have a laptop there, and, and, and I'll go, I have no idea the answer to that. Let's like, let's, let's group think, let's Google it and, and, and work it out together. Uh, that's you know. awesome. That's really awesome. That's really awesome. I love it. And you know, uh, you know, having long uh, Q and A sessions is a clean indication of uh, how much the, the people do enjoy and uh, do love uh, uh, taking the time and uh, discussing with you. Because if if you don't have Q and A, or if you have 
just a few questions. This is a disaster in my book. But uh, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. That's why, that's why I, I totally understand what, you, uh, what you're saying that uh, this is the most pleasant and the most uh, satisfactory part of, of any masterclass. When you sit down with these young fellow composers and, and they start shooting questions toward you because they make us think they make us feel they make us you know stay alive if you like at least this is the way uh, I, I feel and at the end i might feel uh, exhausted physically but emotionally i'm totally charged i i couldn't agree more um i there's so many other things i would love to ask you but that's such a beautiful note to bring this to a conclusion and especially yeah. it's uh what time is it even for you now is it like midnight or, uh, or something almost, almost midnight but uh Seriously, my friend, uh, I didn't even sus suspect that it, it was going to be such a pleasure talking to you. <laughs> well, uh, I, yeah. I, I love your outlook on these things, and and it, and I, you know, there's so many, uh, there's so many musical questions that I could ask, and we didn't even talk about uh, <laughs> things like uh, your your childhood and your background and all of that. But I just, to me, it's one of those that you you explode a kind of a positive attitude about just sort of trying to just do your best and make music that makes the world a better place. And it's so infectious. So I want to, I, I want to end on that beautiful sentiment because you've made me want to go write my ass off and hopefully do some good work. <laughs> yes. I think this is a pretty good ending line, my friend, and uh, a pretty good uh, open ending line because I hope that's not going to be the last time. We will be having such a pleasant conversation. We about will make a point of it, and and I, while I, while I, uh, I will gratefully reject your invitation to pay for my plane ticket. I will happily get my own <laughs> and uh, come spend some time in the forests uh, outside of Ghent. So um, it sounds divine. Well, thank you again so much for doing this and sharing your thoughts. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for the Game Maker's Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.